No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. We're joined now by perhaps our least favorite guest. Contractually obligated, however, to feature him on the show several times a year. The Couch Slouch, the great sports television columnist and curmudgeon, the one and only Norman Chad. Norman, thank you for being with us. And I, I say that facetiously, um, but not disingenuously. Is that possible? You've already used at least two words that I don't like. <laughs> but yes, I have no problem being on the uh, weekend equivalent, the weekend talk show equivalent of a proctology visit. <laughs> and, you know, we tried to reach you earlier in the week, and I have to say it came as no great surprise to me um, that you were uh, out of touch because you were at a doctor's appointment. And there's nothing funny about being sick, and I don't want to violate any HIPAA laws by getting into details here or anything like that. But... Um, you've written over the years about your uh, hypochondria. It's 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 kind of part of um, your public persona. Is it a real thing or is it something you just have fun with as the character Norman Chad? Because the real Norman Chad is actually much more like an Albert Schweitzer than um, than the public figure that everyone knows. Okay, you're mistaken about the hypochondria. Uh, I am. Kornheiser is the hypochondriac. Okay, just just oh, that's, right. I, that's right. I forgot. Now, I I, I, I have actually sometimes publicly written about my own travails, which are legitimate. I believe I have the the Mount Rushmore or the trifecta of ailments uh, in the middle section: uh, kidney stones twice, oh. IBS, legendary irritable bowel, and I'm right now forgetting the third. The third, yeah. The other day I was at the urologist and. Uh, <laughs> He has no sense. Of, urologists generally of the the group of doctors you go to, urologists have the least sense of humor of the whole group. Well, wouldn't you? Even more so than like say dentists. Dentists are funny. I mean, would you have a sense of humor if you were a urologist? I mean, that would probably kill whatever kind of um, fun you know or humor in your in your life, wouldn't it? I guess so. So I, I never enjoyed going to the urologist. Uh, he is a good urologist, but we need to, we do not go into any of those details. We're speaking with Norman Chad, the couch slouch. Um, you know, the last couple of days, we, we've seen the Astros kind of apologize. We don't know how much they really are contrite or if this is just kind of a public flogging, taking their licks, uh, accepting the tar and the feathers so that they can move on. Do you, do you find this this apology tour convincing, Norman? No. Uh, most apology tours are, are not convincing. Uh, we have a very unusual one right now with Antonio Brown yes. in the National Football League. That's That's a separate thing, but I'm shocked by that apology tour, but someone did get to him. Uh, in terms of whatever 12 steps he's taking. The Astros Apology Tour, uh, which is like drips and drabs, uh, does not appear convincing. Uh, and the Astros are really in a bad spot. Uh, and as usual, 
I don't want to say the cover-up's worse than the crime. Why wouldn't you say that? Well, they would be able to rehabilitate themselves a lot quicker if they just came out front. And this has, you know, always been the case, whether it's O.J. Simpson, whether it's Pete Rose, and whether it's the Astros now. If you just come out front and and just say that you were wrong, you get rehabilitated in America pretty quickly. If O.J. had done that, he would be back on the NFL today. He would have been an Oscars presenter uh, within five years. Stop it, Norman. Stop. I, I was willing to give you Pete Rose, but but not O.J. I, we're speaking with Norman Chad, but seriously on the Pete Rose thing, and I've always felt this way. If in 1989, August 1989, Pete Rose had sat down and done an interview with Mike Wallace or, you know, Steve Croft, and at that point had said, look, I have an addiction. I am a compulsive gambler. I need help. I've done something wrong here, and I understand that baseball has to punish me for it now, and I have to serve that punishment, but I need help. If if he had taken that approach, and I'm not sure that anybody anybody would have taken that approach in 1989, probably everyone would now, you're right. He would have gotten himself back in the good graces. He probably would be off the ineligible list in, in the Hall of Fame. Um, that's what a, a communications expert would tell him to do now, isn't it? Uh, correct. But he he could have he didn't have to if, if he did it in 1989 if he didn't do it in 89 Jeremy if he had done that any time in the next ten years he'd be off the ineligible list by now uh, so yeah he just he's you know he was either stubborn or stupid or had bad counsel around him but you're absolutely correct and actually you're probably absolutely correct for the the, the second time since I've known you uh, I know you had secretariat uh, in the Belmont in '73 and now and now here I did. Against all odds. And I am, obviously, I am exaggerating about OJ uh, a bit, but that's the way America works. So, uh, Pete Rose, I, I feel very little sympathy for, and I realize that, that sooner or later, Pete Rose will be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that's, and again, that's a separate topic to the Astros. But to, to tell me that his, people now are telling me that his penalty has been disproportionate when you take a look at the Astros. Well, it wasn't disproportionate. What they're doing with the Astro players right now, that may be incorrect, but that doesn't change the fact that what they did to Pete Rose was correct at the time. So uh, I get the tide of that particular argument. The Astros, though, they just need to come on out. I mean, they're, they're, you know, I, there's another issue here, though, Jeremy, that, that, that I understand in baseball. Maybe you could explain this to me. Sign stealing is not cheating in baseball. Correct? That is correct. If you're doing it, you know, just with your eyes and your hands and communicating second base, that's fair game. Okay. So that's acceptable. And yet, and so MLB a couple of years ago decided that whether through electronic devices and through video technology, that was against our rules. They established a rule. So the Astros have repeatedly broken that rule. So I guess that you would call that cheating then? I guess that's cheating. Yeah, I, I would call that cheating. Why wouldn't you call that cheating? I mean, there's a very, um, I think, uh, apt analogy, right? Like, you, you know, the casino environment. If you're counting cards in your head, they might not like that, but that's not against the rules, right? But if you've got some camera there that's counting cards or you've got some electronic device that's helping you do that, I don't know how that would work. I know th nothing about, you know, cards. That would uh, get you in some trouble, right? 
Yeah, actually, now you're right for about the third time since I've known you. Uh, even though, by the way, technically the casino can toss you for any reason. Right. They will toss you for counting cards sometimes. They can toss you for any reason they want, but you're right. There is a difference between doing your head and using an uh, electronic device. Uh, so, yes, that is an apt analogy. Uh that's pretty impressive. This is a big win for me today, Norman. I, I mean, this is this is, and this is coming on the heels. I mean, I don't know if I'm, you know, speaking out of school here. You you actually sent me a note the other day complimenting something I had done, and I wasn't going to go there because it seems self serving, but I get I get so few opportunities in the context of our relationship and our dialogue to do so. You liked the Drew Bledsoe E60. You told me so. Yeah, I'm sure you have a paper trail on that, but yes, I, I enjoy the, the hour, uh, even though it's, it's amazing that one can, can ply the professional trade while sitting, uh, sitting down and I believe, she, unless it was just not really wine. Oh, it was wine. You know, like not sipping real scotch. Yeah. While sipping a, sipping a, I believe, polishing off a bottle of wine, the two of you, during the time you spent together, which I'm sure was obviously more than, you know, a half hour, an hour. So it wasn't like you were it was just... a couple of hours. A couple of hours. We finished off a whole bottle of a strong Cabernet Sauvignon. And I, I'm not a connoisseur, but, you know, Drew is. And you might be surprised to hear this, Norman, but I think it had more effect on me than on him. Uh, no, that doesn't surprise me, as you know. Uh, and it was, I'm sure that the Cabernet was a bit bold for you. And, uh, yeah, you're pretty much of a lightweight. But, yeah, yes. it's amazing that you can produce, you know, essentially Emmy-quality, sports Emmy-quality, let me tell you that, sports <laughs> Emmy-quality television <laughs> while polishing off a bottle of wine. But, yeah, I really enjoyed, you know, as you know, yeah, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for but people who didn't anyway. see it, you, you, you sort of hopped between the, the whole aftermath of him having to deal with being replaced by Tom Brady with his second life. In, in the wine business where he's uh, you know been quite successful and I was very impressed by Drew uh, you know as a person just the way he dealt with uh, what he had to deal with over the last 15 of uh, the last 10 years of his career uh, because being benched and uh, then just pivoting to a, another area which he's very passionate about so yeah it was a very good piece again you know m- maybe your best work uh, well, it was, it was all the producer. It was all Max Brodsky, the producer, and Dave Lynch, the editor, and great camera work. They can they can clean up my mess anytime. We're speaking with uh, the couch slouch, Norman Chatted. Norman, before I let you go, and I'm always reluctant to let you go because I enjoy our conversation so much. Uh, have you seen the Mike Wallace, Mike Wallace uh, 90 minute documentary? Mike Wallace is here. I watched it on a plane the other day. I thought it was great. Uh, you know, I went. I went to see it. I thought it was on Netflix, and I went to see it last week, and it was not on that by Netflix, and so I have not seen it yet. You must have been a Wallace guy, right? You must have liked Wallace. I mean, you're you were growing up in the heyday of sixty minutes when everybody waited all week to see who he was going to nail on Sunday night. That must have been something you enjoyed, or were you just watching like the the NFL highlights uh, at that time? You know, again, I there are photographs of me reading the Wall Street Journal. I'm not a business guy. The Wall Street Journal at age eight. So I don't want to hear about I was an NFL highlights guy when I was growing up. I used to watch 60 Minutes every week. No. <laughs> okay? I no longer watch 60 uh-huh. Minutes. And not because it's, the quality has gone way down. I don't know if it has. But, yes, I was a Mike Wallace guy. When there was a Mike Wallace piece, and I liked watching the other guys. You know, and I, you know, I liked watching uh, – See, I don't see you as like a Morley Safer guy. Like I think Morley Safer, his – I don't know. There, there's so. I mean, I'm a. I'm a big. I was a big morally safer guy, and um, 
you know, the style, the style, uh, he was a stylish writer and there was an elegance. Um, I thought that would turn you off. Okay, yes, because I'm, I'm anti-stylish and anti-elegant and, and anti. Yes, I understand. Is that what, what I said? About. It's not exactly what I said. I understand said. what you said. No, I'm just lying. I'm, I, I, I was lying in a sandbox, okay? And I was lying in a sandbox as a kid, you know, just, just drinking <laughs> Yoo-Hoo left and right and scratching myself <laughs> in all the wrong places. But anyway, the problem I have with Morley, Morley would do some of the sports pieces, as did Ed Bradley, and I always hated their sports yeah. pieces. It was like the opposite of 60 Minutes because the rest of 60 Minutes was fairly investigative. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It, it just mm-hmm. it grossed me out, the sports pieces, because they were just, they were like, Entertainment Tonight, Access Hollywood, let's celebrate this figure. And it just, I didn't feel like we got any, any, any measure of the person. Right. Well, well, th- you could understand it. And I don't think that applies anymore. I think, I think the approach has changed, but back then it was kind of like, we're, you know, we're, we're killing, uh, you know, this guy or that guy. We're, you know, exposing this scam or that scam. Sports was the, uh, portion of the magazine that was the relief from seriousness. So you could understand the, the approach that was being taken. I do not understand that approach. And actually, they would do that with entertainment figures as well. Uh, I shouldn't say sports. They do people in, you know, in Hollywood. But yes, I, I always loved Mike Wallace. And actually, I've always been, uh, and you can speak to this better than and most people, that I've always been curious about Chris Wallace. And just he seemed to have a complicated relationship with his father. And I'm not saying that you, you've had a complicated relationship with your father or with your children or anybody other than myself. But. <laughs> Chris Wallace always fascinated me. Yeah, and and now he's really in his seventies at the pinnacle of his career. I mean, um, you know, th- those those Wallace guys. Not that they don't experience a lot of success before they turn seventy, but it's almost like it ramps up at that point. It does ramp up. Uh, if I just one of the pet peeves I have with you, and I know you generally in your office and, and at ESPN, you surround yourself with. You, know, you surround yourself with acolytes and, and yes men and sycophants who don't tell you when you are wrong. True. This is the exception. The last time we spoke, you get a publicly you, like okay. You, you were sending out you sent out like a public email uh, to the, the head of ESPN Radio talking about how you and I, you know, they had to consider you and I doing a podcast. You made a big deal about it. It was a big splash. Yep. It was like a press conference. You sent out an email to a guy who retired 15 minutes later. Okay, this was one of the most unbelievable. I, I have, you know, I've brought this up with my therapist. Well, I had no knowledge that that was taking place. Norman, you're right. The way you laid that out was technically correct, but there's some key information you left out. I did not know that Trog was about to announce his retirement, and clearly, clearly, his willingness to give us a chance to do that was tied entirely to the fact that he wouldn't be around to actually make the decision. <laughs> <laughs> Norman Chad is the Couch Slouch. That podcast coming your way soon. Hell or high water. Norman, I, I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. By the way, you forced me into being on a uh, – I have my own YouTube channel now. But thank you. That's because we can't do the podcast. I will talk to you next year. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern time.